Good day and welcome to the MacGyver Report, Wisconsin This Week. Whether it's interviewing the newsmakers of the day, reporting on the truly important stories that you just won't see in the mainstream media, or bringing you the latest cloak and dagger capital intrigue, the MacGyver Report is here to keep you up to speed on all things Wisconsin. From our palatial offices right here on Madison's Capitol Square, we bring you the stories that really matter to you, the taxpayer, and give you our incredibly expert analysis and unfaltering insight that you can only get, or so we hope, from Team MacGyver. And now, fueled by outrage that it's winter in spring, <laughs> oh, with no. a lot of snow to show for it, I'm Chuck Todd and or Matt Kittle, investigative reporter. You do have the beard going on. Oh, yeah, the Chuck Todd beard. Right? <laughs> There's probably no greater insult I could hurl at you than to say you look like Chuck Todd. Yeah, Chuck Todd. Todd is not a lot in this office. You could tell so. me I look like Mary Todd. <laughs> in any case, I'm Bill Osmolsky, McIver News Director. And I'm Chris Rochester, Communications Director. And I'm here to remind you, hey, if you're listening uh, on the website, uh, we appreciate it. You're awesome. You're clearly not, li- not living in ignorance. But, uh, you or should in go. your mother's basement. That's well, not necessarily be. true. <laughs> Uh, you could just be listening to uh, our podcast on loop all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you're doing that, that's oh, awesome. But you will find links on the website page to SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play. So if you have an Android or an iPhone, you have no excuse not to go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, share it. We would appreciate it. And if you're listening in your mother's basement, I am so happy that you decided to tune in to the world as opposed to play another round of Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you. Nothing against Dungeons and Dragons, but maybe peek your head up upstairs once in a while, do some of those dishes. Your mom will appreciate <laughs> it. I'm more of a stratego guy. <laughs> and I'm Ola Lasowski, research associate. Yeah, Chris kind of stepped on your intro there, but that's fine. Yeah. That's okay. I'm well, used to well, so the winner isn't the only thing to be outraged about today. The day, Tuesday being the day that we are recording this podcast because it's also tax day. Dun, 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 dun. Happy tax day. Do they make cards for that at Hallmark? I don't think so. Mm. There is good news around the corner, but let us first focus on tax day when we Americans, of course, are reminded once again just what kind of indentured servants we are to this vast and bloated government that just keeps getting bigger and bigger and well, bigger. Well, I've got some good news about that in mm-hmm. just... Two days from now, yeah. us residents of Wisconsin will be able to begin collecting our own pay instead of just giving it all to the government because April 19th is Tax Freedom Day. That is nice, isn't it? Yes, Tax Freedom wow. Day, which is the domain of the Tax Foundation. They took that over several years ago. But really what it is, it's a measurement of all the taxes we individual taxpayers must pay into our federal, state, local governments, whatever the tax may be, and there are many of them out there that we are bound to pay uh, by the time we get to generally late April, or in some cases early May, we have earned enough money to meet our tax obligation for the year. How about that? Yes, I mean, that really puts it in context for, you know, our listeners and say, you know, Madison, who are always advocating for higher taxes. I mean, why give me a $20 tax break here or a $10 tax break there? Just, you know, why doesn't the local government just keep it? I'm sure they can put it to better use. Well, just consider that. Every single paycheck that you've earned this year so far, you've just handed right over to the government. That doesn't make you feel good, does it, Ola? But at the very least, Tax Freedom Day comes about eight days earlier mm-hmm. this year, and there's a big reason for that. That's right. 
I noticed that jump right away because last year it was April 27th, which very important to everyone in this room. I'm sure you've all had it on your calendar for months. That's my birthday. Yes. <laughs> so, Sacks Freedom Day. Your you know, birthday. I saw, last year. I saw it was the 19th this year. I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, normally <laughs> we're celebrating right around my B-Day. So, um, you know, that it was definitely a big, big leap ahead for, for Wisconsin this year. Quite a few days uh, uh, faster, I guess, we will all graciously and happily pay in all the taxes we need to to keep this thing going. <laughs> That's the old spirit. You know, yeah. I, I, I hope you're not offended that we don't have Tax Freedom Day arriving on your birthday. But I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm quite, okay with that. <laughs> quite happy that it's eight days earlier. And it should arrive on my birthday, January 26th. Oh, that would be nice. I would be into that too. <laughs> yeah, right? that would be nice. It's going to be a while until we get there. But let's face it, the tax cut, uh, the tax reform package passed in late uh, last year, signed into law by President Trump, has had a significant impact on the lessening of the tax burden in this country. That's right. And I believe just yesterday or the day before, another big employer made an announcement. I didn't read too much into it. Kittle, maybe you did. I believe mm -hmm. Kroger, Milwaukee-based company, will be giving back uh, some, some raises, some bonuses, some benefits based on everything they've seen, the windfall they're getting from the, the signing of that tax package. So, you know, the, the crumbs continue. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, that's what the Democrats have described these uh, tax cuts. And let's face it. Let's talk about first uh, the significant corporate end of things because this tax reform package drastically lowers the highest corporate tax rate, at least at the very least one of them, right. uh, from 35% down to 21%. Right. That's not crumbs, and the narrative from the left has been, oh, it's another big corporate, big uh, wealthy oh. tax cut. Oh, oh, and they love the narrative, too, how, you know, show me the corporate tax cut that, you know, creates jobs. You know, they call that a myth. You know, they, they uh, equate myth, it to a right. myth. Yeah. Right. You know, but we have the Congressional Budget Office saying, no, the economics of this are, this is going to create 1.1 million jobs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, government agencies aren't usually, they don't like to go out on a limb very often when it comes to making predictions. So right. that's right. a fairly safe bet that they're making there. They also say that it's going to increase wages throughout the country, $1.2 trillion. Well, we've already seen that, haven't we? I mean, you talk about mm -hmm. Kroger, they're the latest. Right. But uh, we also include just here in the state of Wisconsin, you know, American Family giving out bonuses. We have companies, uh, banks in this state that went from a uh, 10 or $11 minimum wage all the way up to $15. Yeah, Isn't that remarkable. exactly what the 15 or bust crowd has been talking about? When you let businesses and individuals keep more of their hard-earned money, less of it going to the government, they tend to spend that money to invest that money and to reinvest that money. And it's not just going to be that, that trickle-down bonuses. It's, uh, you're also... It's also estimated that the average family of four is going to have a two thousand is going to be paying two thousand dollars less in taxes this year than they did last year. That's right? exactly right. And the ironic thing about this is you've got all these you know progressive tax protests around the country. Last year, you know, they got together and they said Donald Trump needs to release his taxes. This year, they're all getting together and say Donald Trump needs to release his taxes, and you need to repeal the Trump tax. 
they're trying to characterize <laughs> this as just a tax cut for millionaires and billionaires yeah. on the backs of average people. And I already watched one of these news stories from the weekend. Um, a lot of these were actually delayed until today, but for states that didn't have, you know, blizzards, they had them <laughs> on Saturday. And there were great interviews with people participating in these protests saying, we're having a really hard time convincing people that this is, you know, going to increase their taxes when they're getting a tax cut right now. But that's going to go away in a few years. Yeah, it's going to, you know, it's going to be up for renewal in a few years. Yeah. But they're trying to <laughs> twist that into, oh, these are temporary tax cuts for the rich are forever. Yes, right. you know what's surprising about this is that something, a government program or initiative goes away. While I'd rather see this thing go on indefinitely out into the future, this is a Congress, and this is a president who recognized eventually that another Congress is going to have to deal with the reality of their day. Right, uh, right. And know, that'll be, what, eight years from now? Eight years from so now. So I would be very curious to see if uh, Congress is looking a little more blue than red than it, than it is today. I dare them to to let that expire. I dare you to let middle class taxes go up. You're Truly. touching on something that just drives me crazy that you, you don't see reported all that much. Is you have Nancy Pelosi and probably Debbie Wasserman Schultz or whoever out there now saying we will repeal the Trump tax cuts. The irony is they spent the whole time in the debate over the tax cuts claiming it's uh, not a real tax cut for the middle class because the tax cut goes away. They just want to repeal it immediately. <laughs> yeah. They just want to get rid of it right away, and they're coming right out with it. And now you see these protests, which are clearly part of a, a organized effort around the country to gin up support for getting rid of, you know, raise my taxes, please, mm -hmm. uh, protests all around the country. Well, well, yeah, well, politically speaking, I mean, they realize that once these things really get, you know, once people get used to paying the lower taxes, it's going to be impossible for them to get rid of them. Right. So, so, right. so their strategy is to convince you that they don't exist, they aren't a big deal, the second that they get into, as soon as they, if they're able to take <laughs> over Congress, they will repeal them right away. People will get that nice tax break, you know, in the spring. They'll take credit for it. And then next year they'll go up and there'll be time for election. Everyone will have forgotten what a great, you know, tax cut they had. You know, uh, they will be able to just repeal it right away, too. The the PA state results of the, uh, I don't, you pro, Joel is frowning at me probably. but he's doing his own. But, uh. You know, the Republicans couldn't. <laughs> the French yeah. version. When a guy yeah. named Rochester tries to speak French. I, I yeah. just, I, no, that was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Northwoods barbarian trying to speak French. It reminded French. me of my old French professor, really. I just like, closed my eyes. Wow. It reminds me of the uh, Griswolds going to Paris and the saying, that's a, that's a great accent there. Is it Cleveland? The Griswolds Chicago? had way more class than that. <laughs> But you know uh, the Republicans take over Congress and, and the White House and the entire government, and they couldn't couldn't get Obamacare repealed to save their lives. But you can bet your bottom dollar that the Democrats, if they take over, these tax cuts are history. Forget about it because well, you know isn't they that, put their isn't, mind. Isn't that it. the big concern? But where do they go? Where do they go for safety? Where is their safe space when it comes to looking at the real numbers? Even their most one of their more left leaning think tanks. The, the Tax Policy Center has estimated that the average tax cut is going to be around $1,600 for uh, the, the average citizen. Now, is the average, I should say the average uh, taxpayer. That's not crumbs. Right. This is meaningful money in the lives of people. This is meaningful money in the lives of families. And at the end of the day, it is saying, 
hey, this government has been taking and taking and taking. Now it is time to allow you, which is a strange how phrase, gracious. how yeah. gracious, to oh. keep more of your money. Right. And we're, you will see that in 2018, of course, at this time next year with tax day. But we see it every week, every pay period now. More dollars left in the paychecks right. of the average working person. You know, what I'm curious about is as at the same time as they call them crumbs, you know, here we are, April 17th. I know I have. I hope everyone here is all done with their taxes. Uh, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> if, um, not, if you're not, we'll pray for you. Yeah. You know, I got a little bit back. And that helps. That's going to be awesome. That it, you know, that's fantastic for my budget. I'm going to throw more money onto my student loans and (laughs) get those out of my life a little bit faster. So I'm kind of curious how, you know, they just, Pelosi and people like this, they just constantly have it both ways, right? Like they can commiserate and kind of talk down to their middle class voters about, you know, whether or not they got some money back on their tax return or not, while also deriding the the bigger driving force in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. I just, you know, you can't tell me that a couple hundred bucks in the pocket of a poor family doesn't make a difference. Wasserman, Schultz, and Pelosi don't know the difference, but guess what? A lot of people in this country do. That's right. You're right. There is a huge disconnect between what they are saying and what is really happening. It's the the entitlement mentality in politicians. They think they're entitled to your money. I have this conversation... I, I, I don't want to get too philosophical here, but I had this conversation with a friend who doesn't – I would say that it's a normal he's, – he's a normal person uh, <laughs> and, and not involved in this, this world of, you know, of, of policy. But, um, I, you know, I said, so what, what's the most valuable thing you have that you can literally never get back? It's your time. Yeah. And if you're a wage-earning person, the amount of money that you're paying in taxes, whatever it is, represents – time out of your life that the government's taking that you're never going to get back. Time you're exchanging for, you know, your labor for money. Right. And you have politicians on the left who think they are entitled to take your time out of your life, your most precious commodity that you have, that you're never going to get back so they can take it in the form of the money you earn and waste it on stuff it, and whatever they decide because it's it gives them political power. Mm-hmm. Now, that's, that's brilliant. I, I think someday college uh, students will have on their shelf uh, dialogues by Plato, dialogues by Aristotle, <laughs> and dialogues by Rochester. No, this is his friend, Socrates. You know, the, Ro- co- the, the Rochcrates or something. The, the, oh, no. the common person, right? The, 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 the common person out there who is saying, yes, don't waste my time. So, uh, we love talking about tax day on our podcast, but we also love talking about it on the airwaves. And Matt, you took to the airwaves uh, actually today, Tuesday, for uh, for the McIver News Minute. Absolutely, giving hope that Tax Freedom Day arrives earlier, as we mentioned. And here is today's McIver News Minute. This is the McIver News Minute. Here's Matt Kittle. Today is tax day when we Americans are reminded that we are indentured servants to a bloated government saddled by an ever-increasing national debt. But by one measure, Wisconsin taxpayers are eight days freer than they were this time last year. Tax Freedom Day, the day in which taxpayers have earned enough money to pay their total tax bill for the year, arrives on Thursday for Badger State taxpayers, according to the Tax Foundation. Last year, Wisconsin taxpayers didn't break their government obligation chains until April 27th. 
National Tax Freedom Day also is Thursday, three days earlier than last year, thanks in large part to last year's tax reform package pushed by President Donald Trump and passed by the Republican-controlled Congress. The Tax Cuts and Jobs Act didn't just slash the corporate rate, it significantly cut tax rates for individual taxpayers. More than that, think of what the tax burden might be under President Hillary Clinton and liberals in control of Congress. For the MacGyver News Minute, I'm Matt Kittle. For more free market news, Log on to MacGyverInstitute.com. And you can listen to the MacGyver News Minute every Tuesday and Thursday on News Talk 1130 WISN. Now, speaking of taxes and taxing and all that, there are still, you know, a lot of people out there who would love to raise your gas tax in Wisconsin and maybe push that uh, Tax Freedom Day a little bit further back. I thought Jeez. this debate died. Well, you know, it's <laughs> never going to die. We're just getting ready for round two. And so I just... Uh, the gloves are coming off. I just finished my 2,700-word analysis of where the debate is currently at. It's kind of a springboard into the next round in this fight. And... Uh, you know, we've been talking about all these issues for a really long time, so I just want to bring up four points uh, real quick. And uh, the first one is, you know, quality of roads. People that want to raise the gas tax say the roads in Wisconsin stink. Well, you know, we've talked about before how the state, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing to say. Uh, the rating standards are so subjective and everyone uses different measurement systems. So there's very little consistency in them. But I'd like to, you know, I was reading through the state audit that came out, you know, last January again. And uh, I'd like to point out another little quirk with what, how well we rate roads here in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Now, to set this up, if you were in a high school science class and you try to collect data the way Wisconsin's road assessors do, you'd fail. So when you're collecting scientific samples, if you're doing it right, you include every single sample in your findings. If you don't like a sample, well, you can go collect another sample, but you got to still include that original sample in your overall analysis. So you get an average, basically. In Wisconsin, when they collect samples, when there's ones that they don't like, that they don't think are accurate, they throw them away. So they don't don't count at all. So let's say you've got a, a, a pristine road and, you know, just to play it from, you know, the other side, let's say you've got a, a pristine road and there's one uh, there's one pothole in it. And that just happens to be where you took your random sample. <laughs> well, Wait in other minute. states, you'd say, well, you could take another sample, but you got to include the pothole, too. So you say in this- Wisconsin, you'd say, well, that doesn't really look like the rest of this road, so... There's no pothole here. So you why say there's a. Why could I do that in my statistics class? Right. You'd right. fail. That's why. Well, I would have gotten a better grade. <laughs> <laughs> or in the, in, in the case of DOT, a worse grade, so they get more money. Or, Gosh. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, yeah, it could work real well too. And you know, taking the whole academic example too. Sure. Well, hey, I had nine A's and one F. Throw out the F. That's an outlier. It doesn't count. It's not representative of the of the total uh, the total picture. My right. gosh. Go back to high school and try that on my parents. Um, you know, maybe uh, maybe it. DPA will DPI will start trying this method. <laughs> for me, in high school. just ignore MPS. If they, if they were going to do that for me, they'd have to throw out the A. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, it, can work, it cuts both ways, unfortunately. All right. Yes, it does. Point number two: money and quality. The big, I guess. The, the big uh, point that people that want to raise a gas tax are trying to make is if you spend more money on roads, you're going to have better roads. Well, there is concrete evidence out there. That no that, pun intended. Exactly. That, there, <laughs> that is not true at all. So in, tw- in 2015, Wisconsin dropped 10 places in the Reason Foundation's uh, road, road report. But wait a minute. 
Doesn't that mean we need to spend more money on roads? Well, here's the problem. In 2015, we dropped 10 places because we were spending a lot more money on roads than the year before, but the quality of our roads is going down. So right there is solid evidence that the more you spend on roads doesn't necessarily mean the better road you have. It's kind of a big... Well, there really are a lot of parallels with education in this in this podcast today. <laughs> you didn't even let me talk about I, I, my education segment, but we're getting it in however sn- we can. You the, snuck the, it in right there. We're, 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 we're uh, laying that, found, that philosophical foundation. So yeah. should the money follow the roads in this case? Are we talking about that? Because Every that's Every zip code deserves a road. A road. <laughs> Exactly. But, you know, going back to Bill's point, you know, that's a giant asterisk on that study because people point to this and say, look, our roads are just, they're just, you know, practically turning into gravel right before our eyes. Well, you know, and that's, yeah, so, I mean, that's a fun thing about, you know, these studies, too, is they could come right out and, you know, essentially say, uh, the more money you spend on roads doesn't mean better roads. And then the side that wants to raise a gas tax will say, see, this study proves that we need to spend more on roads. They'll point to the exact point, they'll point to the exact passage that says that it doesn't work that way. But you gotta read past the first paragraph to realize that. That's well, always the trick with all these studies. <laughs> but here's here's I guess the and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but here's my concern with all of this, right? It's how we measure the quality of roads. You know, uh, fifty years ago there was a debate over pornography. And somebody famously said, I can't tell you what it is, but I know what it is when I see it. Okay? (laughs) Same thing with roads. I know what a bad road is. Can't we just agree that if you're driving and, and all of a sudden your car dips into a pothole, that's a bad road in need of repair. But the same kind of stuff that they're putting on this list that is not a bad road at all shouldn't be there. Right. Yeah. All right. So moving on to point number three, delayed projects. So people that want to increase transportation funding say, well, if, you know, if you've got projects that are planned and you aren't executing them right away, well, they're delayed. That means you don't have enough money to do these projects, so we need more funding. Well, the Department of Transportation's policy specifically dictates that projects need to be spaced out so the state can get the, the best prices through competitive bidding among road builders. If you try to put all of your projects out on the market at the same time, the road builders won't be competing for your projects. Your projects will be competing for road builders. Right. So that drives up costs. That was specifically stated in the audits that the state that the state of Wisconsin was not doing that, and it was driving up the cost but of roads. But that's road. just basic common sense. Well, yeah. Why have we been doing that for so long? Well, and, you know, this they're really trying to, like, play on that mentality that, you know, money solves all problems. If you've got a problem, just throw a lot of money at it, mm-hmm. and it will go away. Look, if we had infinity dollars in the states we still would not be able to fix all of our roads at the same time it we just the, the capacity to do that does not exist it doesn't make any sense you would cripple the state you have to space things out that's why you schedule projects just because your 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 technically a project is ready to be tackled doesn't mean you try to do all your projects at once right. think about around your house okay i've got enough money to do the the bathroom the living room and the bedroom you do one at a time yeah. You know what I'm reminded of? Where you don't have a place to sleep. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of that home analogy, you know. You don't let your roof collapse or, you know, whatever the, <laughs> yeah. whatever they were talking about before. But I'm reminded of that poll that was done. Uh, I can't remember the outfit that did the poll, but it found a significant majority of people would be okay with paying more in, in the gas tax. But the implication was 
everything's going to be fixed overnight if you only raise the gas tax by some pittance <laughs> amount of money, uh, which that's, you know, that, but that, that's what that's they want you... to do. They want to get to the point. When I say they, I mean the road building lobby. And there are plenty of them. Uh, it's it's a huge partnership of people oh, and they've got, they've got under their tent. Well, and they've but, got when, but what they want to do is they want to, they don't want you to think about that other part. They want you to think about what Bill's talking about. You can't do all the projects at one time. You're not going to fix this stuff overnight. It's going to take a long time. They don't care. What they want to do is they want to have committed funds in there that will never change, that will never be reduced uh, because they've got it in there. It would take courage which is a hard commodity to find in the legislature all too often, to reduce that over time. So they've got that built in. That's the plan. That's the hope. We get a 5, 10, 12 cent uh, gasoline tax hike. It's there. Nobody does anything about it down the well, road because you're already paying for it at the pump. You don't think about it. I always like to say Wisconsin bit off more than it can chew with the mega project situation that mm -hmm. we started taking up, can I think, about 10 again? years ago. Yeah. But Bill's analysis has a really good point about what, how much of the spending on transportation is going to go to the mega projects as those projects get wrapped up. Right. I, I thought that yeah, was... So, yeah, it's 40% of the highway budget right now goes to the mega projects. Uh, in, in about three years from now, it's going to start dropping down to like seven percent. So if you're if you want to get your hands on some more transportation revenue that you don't really need, uh, get while well, the getting's good. Yeah, you got to do it while everything is artificially high. Um, you know, speaking about you know five ten cent gas tax increase, man, that's just the start. <laughs> Let's talk about the federal stimulus. <laughs> so. Free money. I yeah. heard we were going to get a bunch of money. Yeah, so, all our problems are fixed. Yeah, right? so all the politicians are talking about how do we get that free money. Um, you know, we typically don't, you know, beat up on the media too much, but all the reporters are out there saying, how does the state get this money? Nobody's talking about or asking, what is it? Actually, what does it actually mean to get that money? Right. What is that? I think not. And do we really somebody's need it? Somebody's asking. Somebody's asking. <laughs> we're asking. So typically, when it comes to federal assistance on road projects, it's an 80-20 cost share. So the feds give us 80% of the cost and we put up 20%. This time it's getting swapped around for this new program. So the feds will give us 20% and we'll pay 80%. So in order to get that additional funding, we need to provide additional funding ourselves. Now, based on how federal funding is typically uh, divvied out, Wisconsin uh, gets uh, about 2% of the total. So in the case of $20 billion a year, you're looking at $400 million a year is what Wisconsin could potentially get. $400 million a year. So let's do some really simple, you know, grade school arithmetic here. At a 2080 split, what does that mean? Well, that means Wisconsin would have to raise transportation revenue by $1.4 billion a year to get that $400 million. Mm -hmm. Now, you can't do that from a gas tax. It would mean like a 47 cents a gallon gas tax. Maybe you could do it through tolling, but consider this. There are, if you divvy out the, if you um, divide out that $1.4 billion a year to all of Wisconsin's drivers, about, I think it was 4 million drivers or so, I've got it in the paper anyway, it comes out to $375 per driver per year. That is what they would have to increase transportation revenue on average. Now, that's per driver. That's not per household. So but if you're Bill. married, you're looking at 
you know, $750 a year extra in costs. But the road costs. lobby says you're more than willing to pay that because you want to end up on the winning team. And I know we'll get there. <laughs> I, I've heard this commercial from the road lobby over and over again with the, the woman who is talking about how roads are so important to her and her family and safe roads mm-hmm. and these sorts of things. They're important to everybody. <laughs> But you know what? So is making sure that they're, you're not, uh, well, what's the correct term here? Uh, wasting all of Wasting all of I had another term <laughs> for it, but I wasn't going to use it. Yeah, so that's the other, you know, going back to our whole capacity thing, too. You know, look, think about every summer. Every road construction worker in this country is fully employed. Probably working 10 to 12 hours a day fully employed. Go up to those workers and say, hey, if I paid you twice as much, could you work twice as much? Yeah. So, I mean, you reach a, you reach a limit. Right. That's like, it's, it's the same model of productivity, right? Right. America has succeeded beyond any country's wildest dreams because of its productivity. But you can only sustain peak productivity for so long. And then eventually you're going to have to add workers or machinery or whatever. And it's the same argument here. You can only do something for so long. And this level of funding simply is not sustainable. Right. Now, my question for you, Bill, when you say dividing it among all Wisconsin drivers, how do you figure that? It's everyone in the state who has a driver's license? Yes, all the okay. registered so drivers in the totally state. totally includes all of the 16-year-olds who will definitely have oh, yeah. that $375 <laughs> on their own and their parents yeah. will oh, cover it? That, that, that's why I yeah. mean per, you know, per driver. That's why I emphasize per driver, not per family. So right. if you've got, you got two teenagers... You're looking at, you no, know, $1,500 no, right. a year. About, here's a motivating factor for you, okay? Now, I'm a dad, and my kids are a few years from driving, but that's how I do it. I say, well, I'm sorry, son. You can get the keys to the car when you chip in your $375 <laughs> to Wisconsin's roads. Uh, you know, maybe maybe there's some uh, some responsibility built into the teenage driver. Obviously, it's a lot of money that a lot of folks aren't figuring. Yeah, and I, we don't know how they're going to get it, but they're going to get it. You know, if they if if they want to pursue this path of maximizing that federal stimulus, that's what you're looking at. It's going to be on average. It'll be through gas taxes, tolling, license, registration fees. They'll figure out a way to get that money if this is what they decide to do. Well, so maybe, maybe the drivers can pay for it with the crumbs they get back from the tax cuts. There you go. Out. There you go. Yeah. Right. I, what I, about about a a third <laughs> of their their extra their savings in the tax cuts? I, I'm picturing like you know suburban Sue and and Steve with the minivan. You know they come and they got the potholes in front of the house. And they get home and they sit down at the kitchen table and they go, oh, $375, I guess, you know, it's going to fix all those potholes. And then you fast forward a year and as Bill's reported in the past, the potholes are all still there because guess what? That's a city street. That's not even a, a state that, highway. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and they're like, oh, what did we agree well, to that for? Yeah, so I didn't put that in my four points, but here's a quick fifth point for you. Um, the, the road building lobby, the people that want to raise gas taxes... They will all try to build this perception that if there's a road in the state that's lousy, it's a state's problem. Well, that's how I run most of my life, actually. Yeah, everything's <laughs> a state's problem. Well, as millennia, as all millennials yes. do. Yeah. The, state, the, 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 the state is not responsible for every road in this state. They are responsible for highways. They are if you're a local government official and you can blame the state or make it look local, like it's their local fault. Local governments are responsible for local roads. <laughs> really? There are limits in place to how much funding that they are allowed to get from the state that's 
put in law. You have to, you'd have to completely reorganize the entire system and then get, you know, transfer responsibility for local roads to the state so they would know every road to be a state road. And then guess what? Some state bureaucrat gets to decide when that road in front of your house gets right. fixed instead of, you know, your local city hall. It is not a good solution. City you want to keep hall. that control locally, which means you also have to budget it locally. Mm -hmm. Budgets are about making priorities. Right. And if good, you know, if having pristine roads is not your community's top <laughs> priority, well, then you're not going to have pristine roads. Well, speaking of local roads, of course, the city of Madison is looking to pay some fortunate soul $164,000 to be the new transportation director for the city. These are the <laughs> kind of spending priorities that a number of local governments have. Speaking of spending priorities, if you have, so Milwaukee got its new choo-choo, the, the, you know, they, they, they're, they're driving it, they're testing it out now. And I, you know, some, some uh, reporters are putting cell phone videos of this thing, you know, creaking back and forth on the street. Wait, street, street cars creak metal wheels oh. on metal Oh, tracks okay. aren't, aren't quiet? <laughs> Here's a couple things, because I've just been dying to talk about this. Uh, yeah, so the streetcar is, is rolling around now. They're testing it back the and choo -choo. forth. The choo-choo, the choo-choo train. Mm -hmm. uh, for one, so it is really loud. You got to go see some of these videos. It's like, holy, I don't want to listen to that. And, this, you know, the it was supposed to be this quiet, like, you know, moving along, you know, like a knife through butter. I bet like if they had just spent butter. more money on it, they could have gotten a nicer one. And then I if bet you, that's the problem. That's the, you know, and... <laughs> It's a right, health and insurance argument. If yeah. you look at this, this one shot by one reporter, I can't remember who it is, but you've got the streetcar, you know, creaking along, making all this shrieking, terrible sounding noise, and right next to it's like the worst quality road I've ever seen. It's like falling <laughs> apart, and it's like, yeah, you get a great, nice new streetcar, but I think that road's going to actually fall into the abyss any second. And I don't take think. The streetcar I don't think it. Mayor Tom Barrett, uh, the engineer of Milwaukee's choo choo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gets the irony of well, that. So, yeah, so... No, it's, know, and it's it's black and white. It's stark. I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, that's a great picture. You know, to kind of take, go off on a tangent here a little bit, um, several years ago, like we're going, like 2010, when they were really starting, you know, the preliminary discussions of this trolley, I went back in the archives of the Milwaukee uh, Journal of the Milwaukee Sentinel because, you know, I, I asked myself, you know, a very basic question. That is, Milwaukee used to have streetcars, why did they get rid of them when they did? <laughs> uh -huh. And so I started collecting all this, you know, evidence about how, you know, you, you start to, you know, read all these old editorials and news stories, and everybody in the city hated streetcars. <laughs> um, all these consultants were saying it doesn't work with a population that's not super condensed. And, you know, this is this is like back in the 50s in Milwaukee where there were a lot more people that lived downtown. Even then it didn't make sense. Under actual and, true socialist control, too. And, and one of the uh, editorials I pulled out and I put, or put out on this, too, was uh, people that lived along the streetcar line and they were just talking about how miserable it is living, <laughs> living by in front of a streetcar uh -huh. line because those every time that thing stops, it's just you hear it screeching from you know a block away. Then it just stops, you know. It's and so I put up. It was this uh, real interactive article where you could look up all the different you know archives back when you know Google had all these newspaper archives available for public use. Mm -hmm. And I remember some of the comments we got was, "Well, those were the old streetcars." You know, they don't screech like that anymore. Uh -huh. Well, it's metal on metal. Metal, metal works differently in the 21st century, <laughs> world, don't you know? That's right. <laughs> metal on metal makes a different sound now in uh, 2018 <laughs> than it did in 1951. Just put a bunch of Crisco on there. Well, you know, as we're going to be, you know, kind of like 
shifting to talk about, you know, more um, government waste in different areas. We might as well just, you know, bring up our session awards that we handed out uh, last week. That's right. We, uh, you know, obviously we track the legislature and local governments, you know, all the time. So every two years at the at the conclusion of a legislative session, we like to take a look back and see, you know, who the real, you know, who the real heroes and villains were over the past, you know, over the past couple years. So, you know, it was a rather lengthy piece. We had a lot of different categories. That's right. It's it's lengthy, but people are are War and Peace was lengthy, by the way. This <laughs> War and Peace is nothing. Who's War and Peace? <laughs> War and Peace used to do my uh, my taxes. Speaking of tax day. Uh yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we like to go back and remind people what happened because, obviously, from the budget address last February to, you know, the wrap-up of the of the legislature just a few weeks ago, I mean, it was, I mean, it was hectic. I mean, you have the Foxconn bill, you have the, the budget, and you've got all these reforms, and then, you know, the most recent, you know, uh, series of floor sessions where, you know, uh, even more reforms got done, but... You know, I'll start at the top, the most undead zombie award, which is a new one this year, but it fit quite well because we had this alcohol czar proposal that mm. we thought was dead last fall when it, you know, it kind of cropped up at the end of the budget process. Uh, well, no, it actually came up midsummer, didn't it? That's the thing. It just keep it kept coming up and it wouldn't go away. It came up actually in early the early part of summer. That's when you first started hearing rumblings about it, Chris. And then we started looking into it, and yeah, it's this whole uh, bill that would create this level of bureaucracy, a an alcohol czar, uh, and it kept evolving and evolving into more power for this unchecked bureaucracy. Of course, uh, you know our our independent uh, breweries out there and our bigger our biggest brewery and others hated this whole thing, but it just it wouldn't die, it wouldn't go away. Right, and um, like like a zombie, and you know the Walking Dead is the season's over now, but you know uh, you, you just that you can't you can't kill it because as soon as you think it's dead, it pops back up to life, and you got to kill it off again. But we're so, you know never turn your back on a zombie, so we're going to be keeping an eye on this thing. To, that also made our uh, enemy enemy of the free market uh, category honorable dishonor dishonorable mentions. Yeah, uh, there's plenty of enemies of the free market this time around. Yeah, we had a lot of dishonorable mentions on that one. <laughs> uh, and, you know, as we say, for threatening to upend Wisconsin's alcohol industry, uh, this is, uh, and, and whoever's pushing it, and I think it's still kind of is a little bit in the shadows who's trying to get this thing into law, it's definitely not the the small craft brewers who would be snuffed out by this thing. Uh, and man, they really showed up and out for some of those uh, public hearings too. Mm -hmm. That was some of our, I think, right. some of my, our favorite coverage yeah. of we, we, mine from this whole year. In the video of uh, William Glass, yes, who we, yeah. we don't have really time to go back into that story, but that, I mean, that got seen by 30,000 people or yeah. so. So there was clearly a lot of interest in this. And when it came down to it, and when it came down to a committee vote, uh, Senator Patrick Teston, who has small craft breweries in his district, said, I'm not voting for it. And that was kind of something that said it's not going it to, it can't pass committee. So the committee didn't, didn't take it up. But I like the Van Wilder won't go away award. <laughs> this is, of course, for a certain audience, those who have seen the classic coming of age film, Van Wilder. Um, these are the folks that can't take a hint. And Michael Haas. Uh, we probably need to check, see if he still has a job there. He finally decided this was the acting 
um, director, the acting um, leader of the uh, the Ethics Commission, excuse me, the Elections Commission. Now, of course, in the uh, fallout of the Government Accountability Board and its abusive unconstitutional investigations into dozens of conservative groups, the GAB was disbanded and in its place was created the Ethics Commission and the Elections Commission. This was the guy who for about a year and a half led this until the Senate after some more disquieting information about the GAB and Michael Haas's role in the John Doe said, we're not going to sustain this guy as uh, the head of this agency. They told him to go away. Yeah. He wouldn't go away. He decided he was going to stay even at the threat of losing his salary as this position. Eventually, I think money talked. I think he said, you know, I'm, as it does. I, I am making $40,000 less a year here for doing the same job. Thank you, but no thank you. So of course, he, he tried to exit by you know, making this noble pitch about uh, how he was wronged in politics and all of these sorts of things. And of course, never noting the fact of how many people he and the investigation wronged constitutionally, abusively. So he's like a bad house guest, you know, you give him a, a subtle hint, like, you're fired! Should and he been, still for, doesn't for, leave. For those of, a, of, a, of an older generation, this should have been the Cato Kalin Award, <laughs> right? <laughs> the Cato Kalin, the guy who would, the house There's guest the who line. wouldn't leave. Over my head. There it goes. You don't know who Cato Kalin is? It's it, something that, to do with all OJ that happened in, in, in the mid 1990s, right? I went to public school, so <laughs> <laughs> there's a movie out about him now. So, oh, okay. We won't we won't labor on the OJ Simpson. Got it. Let trial. me know. Yeah, yeah well, as a good millennial, I don't own cable, but I do have Netflix. Thanks, parents. As see. long as they keep paying for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Another winner of the Van Wilder Award because you can't just have one bureaucrat who doesn't leave. It's uh, Mark Gottlieb, the former DOT mm -hmm. secretary who resigned just shortly before the devastating audit that came out that said there's been a lot of uh you know this is a devastating this is devastating to the management of dot and mark gottlieb had been been the management of dot for years before that and so a lot of these problems occurred or persisted uh under under his leadership but you know he gets the award because uh he's he's out of the job dave ross comes in he takes over uh, and transforms the culture to being a more, less of a spend first, ask questions later culture. Um, and MacIver comes in and we do this analysis of 45 different spending practices by the DOT that can be questioned. Mm -hmm. They're waste, wasteful, they're, you know, fraudulent, you know, different reforms you, we, we, that they could undertake. And he comes in and <laughs> with a response, uh, refutes every single last one of them. Gottlieb. He couldn't, Gottlieb. Mm -hmm. He couldn't even find one example of wasteful spending that he said, okay, maybe maybe we could have done that. Or I didn't get to this. I it didn't get around to this. <laughs> but, you know, no, he's got to defend every single last one of them. That so he just comes, sums up a bureaucrat. Just comes That's right a back. lot. That's he, a lot, honestly. You know, mm -hmm. And so, uh, yeah, anyway, so the bureaucrat, once a bureaucrat, always a bureaucrat. Those two guys get the Van Wilder Award. <laughs> uh, the Bob Joke, they said what award. I should note uh, Bob Joke, former state senator, he compared the arrest of protesters at the Capitol uh, to Tiananmen Square, where he was so potentially dramatic. I mean, it was like he was, you know, recite. He was like in a Julius or in a. Um, a you, yeah, he was like doing Shakespeare, you yes. know, like on joint finance. You a know, lot of like soliloquies with that guy. Yeah, yeah seriously, uh, uh, hyperbolic soliloquies. Uh, so the winner of that this year, uh, which is named after him now, uh, the winner is Representative Katrina Shankland. Uh, you guys will remember back 
last year when the crazed Bernie Sanders volunteer worker uh, took a gun and tried to assassinate congressional Republicans, mm-hmm. uh, just about killed Steve Scalise. I mean, it was right after that. I mean, the timing couldn't have been worse. She's on the J- Joint Finance Committee saying that, you know, a tweak to the state employee health plan, giving them another option for what state employees can have for their health insurance, was going to cause people to get sick and die. And the people with chronic conditions were going to wither away and die. And then she goes on Facebook and posts this mock GOP health plan insurance card that says, in case of emergency, die quickly. I mean, that's just that's exactly the overheated rhetoric that led this guy to go in with a gun and try to murder senators and she just didn't care she terrible judgment bad timing and it's just it, it, if we're ever going to get away from the nightmare of obamacare and have actual health care reform rhetoric like katrina shanklin's does nothing to advance that cause well no and it certainly does nothing to advance a civil reasonable dialogue about that we can disagree but in the context of what was happening last summer with steve scalise and congressional republicans being shot at uh, folks being uh, very badly wounded, very bad timing, to say the least, on Katrina Shanklin's part. Right. And we can't go through all the awards. There's a lot of them. It's a long piece. I'll fast forward um, to a few that I think are important. Champion of the Free Market Award. Um, there's a couple honorable mentions for some good reforms uh, by Senator Devin Lemihue, Adam, uh, Representative Adam Nalen. Uh, Representative Rod Hutton, but the ones that won this one was were Senator Leah Vukmir and Representative Jim Ott. They have still they they've been persisting in trying to repeal or at least chip away at the minimum markup law. Uh, this is a, a law that you know there's a lot of special interests with a lot of interest in keeping this law on the books. After all, it's a built-in profit margin that goes straight into their pocket. Uh, so if you talk about repealing minimum markup, a lot of times it sends. Uh, politicians and especially leadership scurrying and hiding under their desk. Uh, <clears throat> but, you know, Leah Vukmir and Jim Ott are still pushing this. Uh, it had a hearing for first the first time uh, this year. So good for them for doing that. Uh, and, and for, I believe, Senator Terry Moulton won that award for, for that was his committee having hosted that. Right. He mm-hmm. won the Outstanding Citizen Legislator Award. And part of the reason is we wanted to thank him for holding that hearing uh, in his committee. Um, Which and, showed some real courage because, that showed some as real you courage. noted, it was considered a victory that we even got a hearing out of this. That's how oh, sad, how sad yeah. and silly this has all been. Right. And just tells you just how powerful this lobby is against, in this case, the free market. Uh, stuck in an old, antiquated system that cost consumers and it cost uh, the integrity of the free marketplace. And uh, there are only a few of these lawmakers who stood up and said, let's hear, let's hear what these folks have to say. Right. Minimum, right? Yeah. So, so good for them. Enemies of the free markets, unfortunately, this is a list. Um, <laughs> dishonorable mention, we go back to, again, the alcohol czar. Another one, the Kimberly Clark pay to stay. We've talked about this on previous podcasts, but, you know, just a, just a, a bad a gut punch to the free market, and fortunately that didn't go anywhere. Uh, free Internet for All. Uh, <laughs> Kittle, you've done a lot on this. Uh, this, is not, this is not going away. I was just at a Madison City Council committee hearing. And they're moving forward with it. They're kind of doing a sloppy job, it looks like, on on figuring out where to go based on their trial pilot program that uh, that they that failed. But they know you have to do something. You got to right? do something. Something. You can't just have charter having 
you know, low income internet. You got to, the city's got to run it. Um, and uh, legislative leaders, again, because they, again, said on minimum markup, uh, uh, they get an honorable mention too as an enemy of the free market. The UW, the Haven Center at UW Madison wins, quote unquote, this award mm. because of their complete, you know, blissful ignorance about the disaster of socialism in Venezuela. They brought in a guy who's been propping up, giving intellectual ammunition to people like Hugo Chavez and Nicolas Maduro, whose policies have literally reduced Venezuela to a hellhole in the right. space of one generation. Mm-hmm. And they trot out this guy, this uh, Tariq Ali, uh, who apparently wasn't all that intellectual oh, in his it's presentation. Ter- it's terrible. I mean, if you ever, like, if you ever try to listen to a yeah, socialist I was say, Billy, or a communist, uh, you know, listen to one of their speeches on YouTube, they are so disjointed. It's like they've just got, they've written down, like, a bunch of grievances on index cards, and a lot of them are, you know, completely, you know, imaginated or fabricated. And just start going off. Well, it's like, th- then they just throw the, the index cards up in the air, and then they just grab them at random. You cannot follow a speech. They will be talking about, you know, the situation in Korea one moment, then they'll be back in 1917 in Russia the next, yeah. then they'll be in Venezuela in the 80s. I mean, you cannot, I mean, there is no logical flow to right. one of these. I and mean, then, and that makes sense, the complete lack of logical flow because these people like Tariq Ali and Maduro are living in a fantasy land Mm -hmm. if they think the road to socialism will take us anywhere towards what capitalism has done for this world. I mean, I think the thing that frustrated me the most about that was I believe that was the week after the the national walkout and the marches of, of kids around this country, you know, standing up and, and walking out of school. And he commended those students for their bravery while just last year students in his own country stood up and did the same thing and they were murdered. Again. And they are still being yeah. murdered today. It is, it's mm-hmm. despicable. Another, it makes me another sick. Another complete disconnect yeah. by the left. They're, they're living in, in fantasy land. Well, you and, know, and one more thing on Tariq, speaking of fantasy land, you know, maybe he should be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because according to, you know, his, his <laughs> bio, this this guy was like best friends with the Beatles back in the 60s. The Rolling oh, Stones. Uh, inspired all kinds Great. of John Lennon cool. songs. You know, if, if Tariq Ali cool. had never been born, the Rolling Stones would never have written Street <laughs> Fighting Man because he is the inspiration behind that song. Mm. Nothing says, you know, wow. I'm for the working man than hanging out with the richest and most famous, you know, singers right, in the right. whole world. And standing by a system that has seen the average Venezuelan lose 20 pounds because of malnutrition in 2018. Oh, oh, but they've while got their that. free neighbors like Chile are doing okay because guess what? They have actual demo... Oh, I just... Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to start They've ranting. got that kind of that... that that trick, that kind of heuristic thing where they just, they write on the, their hand, blame capitalism for any questions that stumps them, right. which is what uh, Ali did. So Haven Center, uh, socialist den, uh, snake pit gets the, uh, gets the award yet again. Uh, Jedi mind trick doublespeak. This is for politicians who think they can say whatever they want. This goes to Peter Barca because not only did he, was he trashing on uh, Foxconn the whole summer last year? Uh, not only to get caught in a moment of doublespeak, but then he turned around and voted for it anyway. 
Um, there's a, there's a, the list the list goes on and on and on. That is, a, you can ha- you can try to have your cake and eat it too moment for Peter Barca politically and of course yeah. what he needs for his uh, community. No, right. well he f- certainly tried though, and he got booted from leadership. Yeah, they for kicked it him too. out of his he, job. For he did. He, he did trying to stand up for something that would be good for his community. How dare he? But you'll find, of course, the entire list. Correct, uh, Mr. Rochester. The entire list is at McIverInstitute.com. It's still on the homepage. Uh, I just want to. The, the big one is Taxpayer Hero Award. Uh, just got to hit this. Uh, Governor Scott Walker gets that again because not only you know did they did his budget completely eliminate two taxes, uh, it holds the line on individual income taxes, corporate taxes, sales taxes. Doesn't increase the gas tax or general veg- or vehicle registration fee. Uh, property taxes are, are are held steady. Uh, so, and not only that, we have this latest round of tax relief. So, right. uh, as we wrap up, uh, just you know, kudos to Governor Walker for continuing to be a champion of the taxpayer. And I believe we all just got that email. I saw the notification pop up on my laptop here. He did just sign the the pair of bills, uh, giving the hundred dollar. Uh, child tax credit as well as establishing a sales tax holiday later this summer. Cool. Oh, good. Yeah, I got that too. Well, oh, nice. Well, <laughs> well to stay on the theme Lucky you, of, you got some kids. <laughs> to stay on the theme and of an winners and losers, um, some more news came out this week about WEAC, the uh, Wisconsin Teachers Union, and uh, their membership numbers. Right. Uh, so WEAC, uh, boy, this is a nice little segue. WEAC gets got the most, the the least powerful capital player award uh, because of. And here is why. <laughs> right. Uh, this is this is the first time they've been on the decline for for some time now. So hold on a second. Yeah. So <clears throat> so this so these numbers are a couple years old because you know that's typically how data you know releases go. So these numbers are from 2015 to 2016. Uh, WEAC's membership that year was down to 40, about 46,000. Uh, just, uh, you know, back in 2010, it was 98,000. So mm-hmm. it's pretty much been cut in half. Wow. And there's a distinction between active members and just general members, too, that, um, that this report makes. But WEAC, uh, so for the second year in a row, driven by this decline in membership partially, uh, WEAC suffered the worst revenue decline in the country. Uh, they're dues collection of the revenue uh, is down 19 percent uh, between 2014 2015 and 2015 2016 which is the latest data last year they were it was also that was that is the largest decline among any state teachers union in the country last year uh, their revenue was down three million dollars over the previous uh, two-year period so well, j- just to give an idea of a long-term trend here i mean they collected eight million dollars in dues that, you know that year and before Act 10, they were collecting, you know, almost $24 million a year. So, I mean, they're down to a third of what they had before. And obviously, they can't throw that kind of money. They can't throw money around on lobbyists right. and political ads like they used to. That's true. Their argument, of course, the left's argument and big labor's argument has been, well, you know, Act 10 destroyed our ability to... Uh, force to f- teachers to join our union and give us money. That's exactly, but that that's the response that they need. Oh, you, you cut the political legs out from under yeah. us. No, you gave people a choice. And at the end of the day, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing the free market play a huge hand here, and people are, are choosing with their feet what? and their pocketbooks. That's exactly it. So before Act 10, just to be clear, 
teachers were required to join this 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 group. Mm-hmm. They were required to pay dues to this group. It was taken out of their paycheck. They didn't have any choice in the matter. It was a total monopoly. We, we talked about the entitlement mentality when we were talking about taxes. It's right. the same thing. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're entitled to someone's hard-earned money right. to, to coerce it out of but them. But in this case, you're not even a government. You're a union, but you you're, might as well be. You're joined at the hip to your, yeah, your right. favorite politicians. Yes, so today there is nothing preventing a teacher from joining WEAC. Anybody that wants to join that, 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 that group, I'm sure they'd be glad to take the, the news from you whether you're a teacher or not. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that teachers have increasingly said, no, I do not want to be a part of that organization anymore. I don't want to give them my money. They don't speak for me. And we are seeing that in a decline in membership and dues. Yeah. Right. And their political power was outside, was outsized for many years because they were coercing people to you know, give them their money and keep them going, even though that was all artificially inflated by the fact that there was this requirement mm-hmm. or that the requirement was allowed, that you had to be a part of a union. Yeah. And it's, to me, the, the, the system they had set up was kind of like back in the, you know, the old, old days before progressivism, old-fashioned progressivism started, where there was political patronage, you know, you could... You know, if if you if you got elected office, you hired all your pals to work up and down the government system, and then they just sure, yeah, we'll hire you. Then you you cut a check, a tithe to the to the party, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's literally how it worked. It's kind of the same thing, except for you have a Tammany Hall, New York. (laughs) Except you have now you have with this system they had set up, you had a union that was the middleman, and they dealt in the money and gave in the high nineties percentage of that to Democratic candidates. And uh, you know, and now that now that teachers can vote with their feet, they're not voting to mm-hmm. join the union anymore. And they, you know, freedom's and, a funny and, thing. And here's the way. other side of it. We've talked about it on many occasions with these issues: right to work in Wisconsin, Act 10, on the public sector side of things. You can be in a union. You want to be in a union? You can do that. You want to pay dues to a union? You can do that. But you don't have to be in a union. And that's what we have here: people mm-hmm. saying, "I don't see the value here." All right. So we have one more thing that we have to talk about this week because everybody's talking about it, so we don't have to talk about it too much. But And everybody's talked about it. I it, mean, it's so yeah. talked out, but it, the, it, the impact is, is still quite significant here in the state of Wisconsin as well as nationally. And, and, and of course, we're talking about the winter weather again, <laughs> the fact that it was a blizzard this week. Speaking of no. the zombie award, winter won't go away. We're talking about of House course. Speaker Paul Ryan re- uh, announcing his retirement. Everybody's talked about it. All the speculation is going around. Um, I mean, clearly, the fall general election is going to be between Paul Nalen and Randy Bryce. So no. take your <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that. I think, that, I, no, I, I think that's an unsteady prediction. Yeah. <laughs> no, but so Paul's been in uh, Congress since 1999. Um, young guy, was in his 20s when he got elected. Um, really, um, you know, he's from a huge family in the area. So, I mean, really... Um, you know, he's really a, um, a big part of that district, you know, and I mean, it's literally, you know, a big part of his family. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and you're speaking at your constituent of his, right? I think you're the uh, only one in the office who's represented by him, Unfortunately, right? yeah, five years ago, I moved to Edgerton, so now I'm in Representative <sighs> Pocan's district. But no, Welcome. I mean, like, Paul's very visible in the community. I lived in, in Janesville for years. You I know, was going to say, you, you, you're uniquely among us, I think, in a <laughs> spot to talk about how you know, going back over 10 years with with Paul Ryan yeah I mean I used to go to, this, we used to go to the same church and I mean like I remember when I first you know I, I kind of watched his rise you know rise to uh rise to fame I mean I remember 
first time I interviewed him was, I want to say like 2000, the 2008 general election. And uh, I met him right in front of the library where he votes. And it was just me and him. I had the camera set up and, you know, he, you know, just, you know, inter, you know, t just, you know, talking about the election. And I remember all of these, all these people were walking right past him to uh, go cast their votes. And he knew every single one of them by name, mm -hmm. which, you know, that was the first thing that impressed me because I've met, you know, lots of politicians over the years. And, you know, I, I love to beat up on Ron Kine because, you know, I met that, you know, I interviewed that guy 12 times in one year and, Every single time, you know, he thought my name was Guy. So it's a fill-in word. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, first better than dude. Yeah. So I mean, he knew he knew all these people by by their first names. He knew what was going on in their lives, and a lot of them were walking past him and saying, "Paul, I hate your guts. Why do you hate my guts, Tom? Oh, because <laughs> if it weren't for you, I could vote straight ticket. But I got to break it up now, and you know, vote vote for you on top of you know all the other Democrats I want to vote for. Yeah. So you know that I I thought that was really interesting too. Mm -hmm. And then you know it was also amusing to like contrast that you know to um, 2012 when he ran for uh, vice president yeah. and all of a sudden I'm obviously not the only camera in front of the public library anymore you know I've got you know there's dozens of cameras from all the uh, mm -hmm. national media outlets there so you know kind of just watching how that that changed over the years yeah so and, tell me guy uh, what did you <laughs> no I, uh, yeah. and I well, what, what, what did you think when the announcement came down though I thought it was interesting that the timing, uh, maybe not the best timing, but this is a guy who said, I'm done with this now. Uh, my kids, my oldest is 16 years old. I have children, all teenagers now. When I was 16, my dad passed away. And that's something that has stuck with, obviously, yep. with him. And he said, while when he was saying, this, this is it, I'm wrapping it up, I, you know, I'm stepping down after this term. He said, I don't want to be, I don't want to continue to be a weekend dad. Well, so with, with Paul, it's hard to say, only he knows what his long-term goals were, you know, like when he entered Congress. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I brought this up to him back in um, 2012 about how all these, you know, all these people, all these pundits were saying that, you know, your, you know, your, your main goal was to be, was to be, ultimate goal is to someday be Speaker of the House. And he laughed, you know, <laughs> he's running for Vice President at the time. He says, he's, he laughs at me, he says, yeah, you know, I've got all kinds of people telling me what my, what apparently my ultimate goals are. Yeah. So, I mean, only he knows exactly where he wanted this path to take. But I, think him, but he's, it, I think he's been clear, hasn't yeah. he? He's, I mean, he's he didn't more. not want that job. No, isn't he? He's more comfortable yeah. as a policy wonk. He's I mean, a behind-the-scenes numbers dude. Yeah. yeah. And he real, I mean, I think he realizes that he can never, he can never go back to that in right. Congress. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, he'll find something there's plenty of things, plenty of opportunities for him to continue to be an intellectual leader uh, outside of Congress. You know what struck me was I went, I was, I, I did this video compilation of you know, each year that MacGyver's been in existence. I took the video I thought was the most interesting, uh, going all the way back to '09, <clears throat> and what the thing that was consistent throughout all the years, even he run, he runs for vice president, he is the Speaker of the House in 20, from 2015 on. He's there's not a drop off in the number of videos where he from McIver where he's in the district doing a town hall talking to people mm -hmm. sitting down with McIver or you know he, he doesn't have to do that stuff as speaker as Eric Cantor well, <laughs> or I mean I mean you know Eric Cantor wasn't the speaker but you mm -hmm. know he, yeah I mean 
John Boehner. Yeah, right. Yeah, John Boehner. He's maintained that disappeared from his district. He's maintained this consistent connection with his district, just like he said. Right. And and he talked. I mean, it, anyone that's ever gone to one of his town halls will witness this. I mean, he know he has a personal connection with so many of its constituents. It's really incredible. It's like when a lot of the people that will ask him questions, he knows them. He's known them for years, and you know he's he you know there's that personal connection with them. And then on top of that, people that you know he doesn't know or that don't know him personally, they know his family but because Ola, he's that, that that ingrained in that district. But Ola, they, like you yeah. said, Bill, they they know him. But Paul Ryan became a national presence certainly in 2012 and before that. I mean, Ways and Means Committee, he was able to do some things and set national agenda. And the stuff. budget committee. Before the budget that. committee before that, obviously. But when he became, a couple of things were interesting to me. Uh, when, when he had the press conference last week and was announcing his departure, he said uh, he named two of the, the biggest honors in his life. One was being uh, a husband and a father. The other one was being the Speaker of the House. He didn't include vice presidential candidate in there. I thought that was interesting. Oh, but as, inter yeah, I didn't even think about that. As yeah. Speaker of the House, he has had a national presence, obviously. Right. And he's certainly had uh, some challenges that he's faced. And, um, you know, there are a lot of folks who are saying good riddance to this guy, not necessarily, well, some in his district, certainly, but more around the country. He has, he has uh, been the collector of all of this venom, mm -hmm. but he remains the consistent force, doesn't he? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I forget... I don't know if this was a National Review piece or the Hill or, or where I read this, but it was it was a great piece on you know, I guess the complete lack of class the other side has had in his send off. You know, Randy Bryce immediately is saying, "Oh, we got him running scared." You know, yeah, like terrified come of Randy on, Bryce. look at every <laughs> single poll, dude. You are just that is you're misrepresenting a lot of things and lying to your voters there, your potential voters. I thought that was just a bit low, and you know, all these posts like, "Oh, the real losers here are his kids who will have to see him more often." Oh, I mean, terrible. you know, it's like, and 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 the article there. I wish I could remember where it was or who wrote it. Uh, um, apologies to, to the author there, but um, it said something how, you know, this is the kind of vitriol he has always seen, especially increasingly so after uh, the, the presidential run, the vice presidential run, and it is something that he never returned. Yeah. It is something mm -hmm. that he constantly just rose above. Yeah rose above you know even as countless times especially this last year you know he's had his differences with the administration he's been that guy between a rock and a hard place but every single time man paul just rises right above you know I, I just, and i and i really appreciate that you know yeah just you know some points real quick on the position of house speaker um you know we're we're used to we uh, we'd like to try to equate it to you know the, the assembly speaker here in wisconsin but there, there's a world of difference between the roles. Like the assembly speaker, for a lot, for for a good part, gets to choose the agenda. Right. And the house speaker, in, in reality, is little more than another whip. Yeah. 
Like, Paul, you know, the House Speaker doesn't get to pick what the agenda is. He's the whip who gets blamed for everything. Yeah. So he's yeah. the one that, that that doesn't get to stand on principle. Whereas, you know, the Assembly Speaker can. The House Speaker has to go figure out, okay, what legislation can I get passed and how? who do I have – what compromises do I have to make to move something forward? Mm-hmm. So when you get to something like the budget that has to be moved forward, oh, it becomes a misery. And he had it, to be a huge – sent a focal point for fundraising for the Republican Party. And he did that well. He did it very well. But it was was clear, and you know, uh, that that's not his thing, traveling around the country trying to to raise a bunch of money. Uh, But that's what the job required. Yeah, so, I mean, during the Wisconsin state budget, you have Robin Voss, who gets to say, this is what we're going to vote for in 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 the assembly. This is how it's going to be. And then on the other hand, you got, you know, Paul Ryan is the Speaker of the other House, who is pretty much has to be, okay, what can we, you know, yeah. what, what are you, what's okay with you guys? What can we do? Right. So yep. I He's got to build consensus. Yeah, it's, it's a, it sounds like a miserable job the more you, you, you learn about this, it. Yeah, Paul absolutely. Ryan's retiring really put into focus for me uh, the idea that good people have a difficult time surviving in politics. Yeah. Uh, they get... The, yeah. You know, the slimiest player is the one who wins. The biggest liar is the one who swindles the most number of voters into voting for them. And what's disheartening that I've been seeing too much of uh, <clears throat> is people who, you know, maybe they have their differences with Speaker Ryan, but they're the same people who are going to complain about s- slimy, uh, scurrilous politicians and complain about them. I'll throw them all out. Mm-hmm. But then you, you take a guy like Paul Ryan, who is right. the example of the kind of people we need more of in government, and they hate the guy, right. some of them, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's disheartening. Well, and so for the future of the first district, what's interesting is, you know, like in the past, when there's an open congressional seat, you have people coming out of out of the woodwork to run for the thing. This time... No, I it's mean, been you, something else. You are not seeing that. I, you, there was another people story that came running the up. other way, Exactly. Really. <laughs> like all these assembly people, all these all these state senators, you know, Senator Craig, I don't want it. Uh, Representative Kirkman this morning, I don't want it. I don't know if it's exactly that. I, you know, my, my sources have been telling me that there's a bit of a clearing of the deck. I've heard, I've uh, heard that too. It, it, there's it, two amazing things is the clearing of the field on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. And I think, I, I, I suspect that there's a large gravitational force entering the solar system and pushing a lot of people aside. <laughs> and there's one person who has not bowed out yet, who mm-hmm. I think is kind of being groomed. And the other thing is you got this joker of a candidate on the Democratic side, Randy Bryce, who is he's a personality in, in a wrestling professional wrestling program. His name is the Iron Stash, and he bears <laughs> no more resemblance to... Randy Bryce, the union flack, who pushes paperwork, he doesn't do iron work, he pushes paperwork behind the scenes for the union, right. as, you know, a, a John Bradshaw Layfield plays to the actual Bradshaw wrestling character. I mean, this is they're totally different Some people. deep well, cuts you know, here out of Chris today. And, and, and for as much <laughs> as I've been emphasizing, you know, Paul Ryan as, you know, like, you know, I first got to know him from church. You know, on how like how big his family is and his personal connection. No, I got friends. to know Randy Bryce on Twitter. I mean, Randy Bryce is the exact opposite. I mean, I'm not, you know, 
I'm not breaking headlines here when I say the guy left his wife and abandoned his kids and was sued for child support. And I mean, this uh, he's the exact polar opposite of Paul Ryan. But he's been the darling of the left, hasn't he? Particularly some of the Hollywood glitterati, which follow yeah. him and support him on Twitter and I on the social networks and all of these sorts of well, things. I still think it was all fun and games and cute to run a, a joke candidate against Paul Ryan. But now that Paul Ryan's not in a seat, you got to have Democrats suspect, who are actually real Democrats I who are elected you, to stuff. Yeah, I suspect you will well, be seeing some of that movement. Maybe we need to get a candidate, although Randy Bryce has raised a fair amount of money simply on this whole I hate Donald Trump, I mm-hmm. hate Paul Ryan, they're the devil kind of campaign. And that's right. all they can really offer. I mean, and I think that's what Kathy Myers is kind of hanging out in the in the background here, maybe waiting for that, you know, I guess the the oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just this this glitter and this this attention mm-hmm. that Randy's getting to be like Okay, can we talk about real issues now? (laughs) You know, like she's a school board member. She, like, I'm sure that those will be some interesting debates there. But I'm curious if the title turned in her direction at any point, because you know, I certainly don't agree with her on a lot of (laughs) stuff. But she seems at least a little bit more serious. Her big disadvantage is that Randy is, you know, on the Democrat side, Randy's got the name recognition. He's got the money. Right. Exactly. I mean that that and he sucked up all the oxygen in the room. She can't. She can't get a word in edgewise when it comes to this debate because everybody's right. focusing on him and his show and that's yeah. what it is his it's a show. show but that's what i'm saying to you and i think chris you're broaching the topic as well i think the democrat the the democrats the party they're gonna have to recognize okay uh, how they're gonna have to is this candidate we, maybe we need a, a real name in democratic politics they're gonna have to, to do run. a thought experiment yeah. and put themselves into the debate where you know Randy Bryce debates, I don't know, anybody mm-hmm. <laughs> on the other side. I, I think getting back to your point, Kittle, I think that's exactly what the Democrats did with the race for governor. Yeah. I think they focus like, okay, let's get the, the Democrat with the name recognition into this seat. They didn't think Paul would leave right now. And maybe they probably, you know, now they have a field of how many people running for that seat. Yeah. A lot of big names there. 632 at the last count. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know, and, and climbing. One, one more thing about the first district, too. I mean, a lot of people like to think, you know, the national media is saying, oh, it's a toss-up district. It's a it's a pretty Republican district. I mean, it's not a toss up. Yeah, no, you bring that, up that is a mischaracterization. Even the scene is becoming more and more Republican as Foxconn builds up momentum. Maybe so, yeah, maybe in two thousand nine yeah. it was moving that way. It, but if, if, it's it's a different district when you're including suburban Milwaukee in this thing. Uh, you got a lot of powerful conservative voices. If the Democrats want to convince themselves as a blue wave coming in that district, they should probably look ask Charles Franklin, the Marquette University. Uh, poll, you know, law school poll director. He was at a Wisp Politics dinner just the other night I went to, and he said, look, don't get, your, don't get too excited <laughs> out there. I mean, Michael Skrenick, who lost statewide by 12 points, won that district by five. Yeah. I know different electorate, but it just mm-hmm. goes to show that this is, this is still that's a funny low turnout though? race. Yeah, that is a low turnout race. Right. But what's funny to me is that the the mainstream media mischaracterized Charles Franklin's statements. They said uh, they I kept 
hearing stories on the radio and reading stories. Well, Charles Franklin says that this district could very well be a toss-up. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying if you look back over the last 25 years between Mark Newman and Paul Ryan, this has been consistently a red conservative district. And he doesn't see that that could change a whole lot, or at least enough, for the blue tsunami. <laughs> yeah, to come I think I think through. his statement was barring a total disaster in the candidate yes. selection process. This is a, uh, it's unlikely to to go down. But that wasn't the story that kept coming out oh. from that event. <laughs> surprise, I, surprise! Hashtag yeah. blue wave. You gotta get that get right. that narrative going. I'm I, I'm calling it more hashtag red ebb because less conservative voting. Yeah. Bill goes with uh, hashtag blue puddle. <laughs> <laughs> but remember, you've got you got to take water damage seriously, or it'll still ruin your basement and your foundation. So a lot of mold. If, <laughs> if you don't take the election seriously, you know the blue puddle is enough to you know bring down the house. Yeah, or at least at least stink it up. All right. Well, I think uh, we've been, you know, into rank punditry for a while, and uh, it's about time to wrap up. I think that puts us well, on this is. podcast. Nice to be back. Yeah, it is nice to be back. Uh, even in the midst of uh, winter hanging on in springtime, we can see some of the buds of the trees as we look over at the Capitol, now covered with snow. We'll get to spring one of these summers. We'll get to the next podcast, of course, coming up next week, and we'll have plenty to talk about as well. Not involving winter or snow. Uh, hopefully, but certainly Melted. state and national politics. And if you want the very latest, keep it right here. We'll be back again on Tuesday for the rest of the MacGyver News team. This is Matt Kittle saying goodbye. So long. God bless. <laughs>